Um, we talked about the Caudi committee, but you're also involved in sterile processing. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, what can you tell us about the importance of sterile processing from an infection preventionist point of view? Mm -hmm. So one thing that I look at is the equipment from sterile processing from SPD to the OR back to SPD. So that's a very important process um, just because all of those instruments and scopes are exposed to blood um, and other um, organic matter that can cause infection. So it's very important to um, just see their workflow and see um, how they travel throughout the hospital. Um, one thing I do is review the practice policies and procedures in SPD. I also regularly round every week in SPD um, to look at instrument quality, to look at the, the packaging of instruments as well, is um, the integrity there. I'm looking for load stickers, chemical indicators. Um, so there's a lot of work to do in and sterile processing, even sometimes washing the technicians in there too, um, when they're cleaning and reprocessing the scopes. That's also a very important process too for infection preventionists to be involved with. How do you address air quality, um, even in the sterile processing areas? Is there what what is the solution? Yeah. So for air quality, um, you want to make sure that the um, the different areas in SPD are in the appropriate pressure range. Um, so for example, in decontamination, you need negative air pressure, especially because that's a very dirty room. Um, so every facility should be monitoring that pressure in all of those different areas in SPD. It's very critical, especially for surveys, um, that you're aware of the different pressure requirements and different FGI guidelines for um, all areas of SPD in the hospital. We talk to a lot of infection preventionists here at Clean Talk, but I can imagine being at a cancer center, there are some uh, unique challenges. Can you talk about what may be different uh, in what you do and your team does at Moffitt versus maybe a typical acute care facility uh, elsewhere in the country? Yes. So cancer and different types of cancer treatments do increase our patient's risk for infections. Um, so we might see different types of infections or more infections than traditional acute care hospital. And that's just because our patients are immunocompromised or um, some of them are even neutropenic. Um, so we see that their white blood cell counts are low and that's what makes them susceptible to infections. And sometimes we also have different requirements that um, might not be present in other hospitals. For example, um, on our BMT units, our bone marrow transplant units, um, we're not allowed to have fresh flowers there. Um, and that's just because um, sometimes dirt can harbor pathogens that can make our patients sick. And also in those units, they're not allowed to have raw sushi um, or any um, raw fish because of that reason too. So we do have um, different things that we look for that traditional hospitals do not because our patients are more susceptible to infections. Also, another big thing at Moffitt is that a lot of our patients also use central lines. Um, so our CLABSI efforts are very important because our patients are at risk for CLABSIs because they have central lines. Um, so we do see more central line days in comparison to other acute care hospitals. So don't send flowers, no sushi, no. <laughs> only candy and cards. Yes. And also when, um, whenever we're doing any construction and we do uh, ICRA or an infection control risk assessment, there's more that we have to look into because, for example, any dust that is caused, um, that's created due to construction, that can really pose a risk for our cancer patients. Um, so there's a lot of factors that we have to um, look into um, a little deeper dive than maybe an acute care hospital, just because our patients are susceptible since they are immunocompromised. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the new construction challenges mm-hmm. because uh, facilities operate differently on how involved infection prevention is in standing up new facilities. And I know that at Moffitt, you are getting ready to stand up a new surgery facility um, at McKinley. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about that and what your role as an infection preventionist is in a new facility like that? Mm -hmm. So yes, we are getting ready to open up a new hospital. It's going to be the McKinley Hospital. It's going to be 10 stories. It'll have 72 pre-op and recovery rooms. It'll have 19 ORs and 128 inpatient beds in their phase one. And we have been involved in um, kind of the start of that hospital just because infection control will look to see how construction's going and will also provide feedback on uh, workflows that are being created. Um, for example, how sterile processing will move their cart from one side of the hospital to the other, um, looking at ORs and um, how they will be designed. So um, we've been able to put our hard hats and our, our um, yellow vest to go in and also our eye protection um, to see some of that construction. And it's been really exciting seeing it from the bare bones to now to where it's almost getting ready to open in the summer. Um, so that's been very exciting. And infection preventionists really play a big role in construction. Um, because you want to mitigate all those risks and always have an infection control risk assessment developed um, for any type of construction project, whether it's a new construction project or you're installing a sink somewhere in the hospital. It's really important that infection prevention is involved and you have that infection control risk assessment developed with clear risk um, and categorizing the risk as well. Well, and yet I'm surprised at how few facilities have that level involvement mm-hmm. of involvement from infection preventionists when they are uh, opening up a new wing or a new facility. Explain it to me. Help me understand what that looks like. I mean, are you involved on the front end with recommendations? Do Do you look at how things are shaping up on the back end for recommendations? Is it throughout the process? Can you give us some insight into what that feedback loop looks like? Because honestly, in my experience, it's not that common. It Mm -hmm. should be, but uh, that's not what I see typically. Yes, we've been involved throughout the process, Um, especially my director and my manager. um, They've really been providing a lot of feedback to the development of that hospital. Like I said, the layout, um, how many um, different uh, hand sanitizer dispensers there are throughout the hospital, um, providing feedback where they think it's appropriate to put a hand sanitizer dispenser or sinks, um, any recommendations as well, um, seeing how many isolation rooms there are in the hospital. So how many of those rooms have negative pressure capabilities um, and just seeing the overall design. And like I said, workflow is a big part um, that you have to consider. So how you, you're moving through the hospital, especially in the OR and SPD and IR, um, those are imperative as well because um, you can uh, potentially, that can affect infections as well, depending on workflow. You want to have a clear and clean workflow going from um, you're going from dirty to clean or clean to dirty. You need to have that workflow laid out um, and have staff educated on that workflow as well. Absolutely. And so um, they don't lay a brick until you've signed off on it? (laughs) No, that's not true yet. No. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Um, So I also wanted to ask you a little bit about um, in in the cancer center, um, Mm -hmm. you have a a team of eight people and you're focused on uh, different areas of infection prevention. How do you as a team communicate that to the rest of the organization? And in what ways do you manage, monitor, or inspire 
your coworkers to adopt the infection prevention processes you put in place? Mm -hmm. So infection prevention at Moffitt is involved in various committees. So we have, like I said, CAUTI committee, which is an interdisciplinary team. We have CLABSI committee, hand hygiene. Um, we also will sit in different policy committees, um, as well as our value analysis committee when they're bringing in new products. Um, we also present at all of our different orientations. So volunteer orientation, general orientation, um, nursing orientation, and we regularly round on the floors. So we're very involved at Moffitt um, and we try to go um, to all the units regularly and all the clinics as well. I'm um, in the different areas um, like um, dietary, heme clinics, um, re therapy, you name it, all of the areas. Um, and just so that they know that they can count on us as a resource if they need to um, review any policies or if they have any questions about any procedures. Um, so we are very involved at Moffitt um, and different staff at Moffitt know that they can come to us if they have questions. And we work with a lot of teams, especially facilities and environmental services closely. Does mm -hmm. every department have some infection prevention KPIs? Is there um, a system that you use uh, to either a carrot or a stick uh, reward or punish those that are outside of the protocols? Is there a KPI monitoring and management system that you use at all? Um, no, we just um, have open communication with those teams. And then we also, we do have a hand hygiene system that we have in um, we provide that data to all of our units and clinic, letting them know. So what it's an automatic on. tracking for hand hygiene. Um, technically, it's manual. We'll put in those numbers based on observations. Okay. And then um, all of our infection data, we also provide to those inpatient units. Um, and we provide those. We get that data also to them manually. Now, mm -hmm. we mentioned at the top of the show that you are an author, a freelance mm -hmm. author, contributor to our friends over at Infection Control Today. What can you tell us about uh, your contributions at Infection Control Today? And should we expect to see uh, more work from you literarily? Yeah. yeah, so definitely expect to see more work. I started working with Infection Control Today summer 2022, and I'm a freelance author for them. I also have recently joined their editorial board as well. Um, so I try to contribute a few articles a month to them. Some of them that I've done have been on food hygiene, um, as well as sharp safety. And I also had um, a cover on day in the life of an infection preventionist and what a typical day looks like. And I love working with them and providing that education to other infection preventionists or other individuals individuals that are interested in infection prevention in healthcare. Um, and in the future, um, we also have some videos that we will be doing um, with infection control today, which I'm really excited about, um, just so we can have some um, content on their website that's video-based, which is also helpful for learning as well, because um, articles are very helpful. But I think videos are a great representative and um, visual tool for um, different IPs to see and to learn more about infection prevention. Well, they do a fantastic job over at ICT. And if people want to read your contributions to infection control today, I assume that they're archived on their website. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes. Fantastic. So go to infection control today and check out ISIS's articles uh, around infection prevention. Now, ISIS, we're so excited to have you on the show because you have so much experience. You, you've gotten to see the long-term care side of things. You've been in the acute care side. You're focused on the cancer specialty. Uh, you've been in public health. You're a writer for infection control today. You have a lot of experience. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. With all your experience in infection prevention, 
and everything you've seen and done over the past few years, if you had a magic wand and could wave it to change one thing to make one thing better in healthcare specific to infection prevention, what would it be? I think I would say never getting tired of doing good and also those prevention efforts, because sometimes we can see burnout of doing the routine and the mundane, um, but truly those make an effort in infection prevention and all of the prevention efforts that we have in hospitals and um, hand washing um, and central line care and fully care. Like I mentioned, those are really the basics, but they truly help prevent infections. Um, and we know the science behind them and we know that they prevent infections. Um, so sometimes it might be tedious to do all of those basics, especially putting um, performing hand hygiene every single time you go into a room room and coming out of the room. Um, but they really help our patients a lot, especially our cancer patients um, that are truly susceptible to those infections. Um, so I just want to encourage all healthcare workers to never getting tired of doing those basic good deeds um, because they truly help prevent infections. So the magic wand is do good and we'll switch from the magic wand to the crystal ball. Any <laughs> predictions for the future? For the future, I think infection prevention will continue growing. Um, it's changing from a field of predominantly um, a nurse-driven field to now we're seeing um, individuals like myself that have a Master of Public Health background. And we're also seeing a younger generation emerging as well that are interested in public health. So that has been very um, exciting to see um, individuals that are passionate about infection prevention and um, want to go to different uh, fields, um, whether it's a hospital, a nursing home, health department. Um, it's it's really interesting seeing how infection prevention is now everywhere. Even in, on cruise lines, we are seeing infection preventionists and public health officers. Um, in Tampa, for example, we had infection preventionists um, look at Amelie Arena for sporting events. So sometimes individuals are um, going to consulting services to see how they can improve their own activity and how they can keep um, goers safe as well. So it's very, um, ex it's expanding a lot right now. And plenty of room for expansion, still mm -hmm. lots of opportunities uh, for infection preventionists. And APIC, uh, the Association for uh, Professionals in Infection Control, is doing a great job recruiting new folks to the field. If you're interested in becoming an infection preventionist, you can find out more at apic.org. Um, Isis, I'm so excited that, to have you on the show today. It's been so insightful, and uh, we appreciate the great work you're doing at Moffitt Cancer Center. If people want to find out more about Moffitt, where should they go? They should go to Moffitt's website to learn more about everything, especially the new facility as well. Fantastic. Isis, thank you for being on Clean Talk. Our guest today has been Isis Lamphere, infection preventionist at Moffitt Cancer Center. Until next time, I'm your host, Brad Whitchurch, reminding you to keep it clean. Thank you, Brad.